Public CEO Report is a podcast that provides insights about the public sector and public policy for the benefit of decision makers and leaders powering our communities. I'm your host, writer Todd Smith, and today we're joined by Sean Bigley, Assistant Director of Water for the City of Roseville, and Jim Pfeiffer, who's the Executive Director for the Regional Water Authority. Jim, Sean, welcome to the Public CEO Report. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Thank of course. You. I love conversations with fellow local government people, making it happen. All right. So you guys are in the water world, correct? Let, let's let's start. Um, Sean, let's start with you. What what do you do for water with the city of Roseville? Yeah, so I'm an assistant director uh, with the city of Roseville. I work in a department called Environmental Utilities, and it's actually a uh, a department that actually has water, wastewater, and a waste services utility. So it's a large umbrella. And uh, what I do is I'm responsible for oversight of the city's water utility as well as the wastewater utility. All right. And Jim, tell me how Hi. you connect to water. Hi, I'm the executive director of the Regional Water Authority. We are an organization that represents the interest of 22 water purveyors in the greater Sacramento region. Our mission is to serve and represent the interest of regional water providers and stakeholders for the purpose of improving water supply reliability, availability, quality, and affordability. So are you a JPA? Yes, we are. Okay, and but you're not a wholesale water supplier. No, no, we, we're not a wholesale water supplier. What we do, though, is uh, provide joint programs through our members. Um, I, an example of this, our oldest program is our water use efficiency program. Many people who are uh, come to the Sacramento region may see billboards uh, suggesting that people reduce their water demand. That's a uh, an example of a joint program uh, to advertise uh, in the greater Sacramento market uh, uh, the need for increased water use efficiency. Uh, we also do a little bit of advocacy, and uh, we also have a, a key program for adapting to climate change called the Sacramento Regional Water Bank. Okay. So I, I will say in my work in local government, I have not encountered a JPA. I've, I've seen a couple of groups that are like nonprofits or just loose organizations, but an actual JPA formation, that's interesting. And I assume, Roseville, you're a member of this JPA? Yeah, we've been a longstanding member of the Regional Water Authority and, um, yeah, definitely are uh, contributors to the greater effort that uh, Jim's group uh, convenes and, um, you know, really a proud member of RWA for a number of years. Very interesting. And then I guess at the risk of getting too much in the detail, how do you fund the JPA? Is it a portion of, uh, of water allocation or is it like how, do, how does that work? There's a, a, a dues that uh, are paid to the JPA once a year based on the size of our members, the number of connections that they have. Uh, that's how it's funded. All right, interesting. Uh, and 20, are, do can more cities join or are you guys maxed out in terms of your JPA? Uh, generally focused on the greater Sacramento region, but uh, we actually have had a couple of new members recently, the Nevada Irrigation District last year, and also the Georgetown Divide Public Utilities District are new members, so new new water agencies, new special districts that joined. Mm, very interesting. Okay, and in terms of the work you guys do in Roseville on the retail side, um, just give me a size, sense of organizational size. How many how many hookups do you have? Uh, you know, how big is your your water network you're supplying? And I assume you're everything from uh, all the water supply, the pipes in the ground. Um, uh, all the billing services, and then on top of that, do you have your own water supply as well? Yeah, so in terms of our system, our system is um, approximately 600 uh, miles worth of water distribution uh, mains within the city of Roseville. We have about 52,000 retail connections uh, within our service area. Um, the city of Roseville, since 1971, has been a, a Central Valley project contractor. We get our primary uh, surface water supply from Folsom Reservoir, and that's a federally operated facility by the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation. Uh, so we've had that uh, water supply in place for, for a number of years. Uh, in addition, we work very closely with the Placer County Water Agency, an agency east of us uh, that's uh, adjacent to our uh, city border. 
that we work closely with, and we also have an additional water contract with them as well. Um, that actually accesses a uh, what's called the Middle Fork Project, which is a series of reservoirs uh, upstream of Folsom Reservoir, and that water is ultimately conveyed through the Middle Fork of the American River, which ultimately drains into Folsom Reservoir. In addition, uh, the city of Roseville has some very unique infrastructure uh, in the groundwater realm, uh, aqu what are called aquifer storage and recovery wells, we call it ASR. And what these wells are capable of is, in addition to sort of traditional extraction capabilities, these wells can actually be used to actually recharge uh, water into the groundwater basin. And so we, we've been recently been able to do that after this uh, series of storms. Uh, and that, uh, that serves as an additional sort of uh, point of uh, water supply for us. And then lastly, I would just say we also operate a, a recycled water uh, uh, service or utility. Essentially what that is, is that provides recycled water from our two regional wastewater treatment plants treated at the level appropriate uh, by state, state of California standards. And essentially that water is used to uh, irrigate our parks, our landscapes, uh, and um, those types of uses, primarily on the western uh, side of, of the city of Roseville. So you have purple pipe, is that right? Correct, purple pipe, yep. All right, love me some purple pipe. For everybody out there who doesn't know this, when you see purple pipe, I believe this is the case, that means it's, it's recycled water of some form. So probably not drinkable, certainly, but great for irrigating. Absolutely. Good, good water for irrigation. Yes. All right. So a first question is, uh, how'd you both end up in this water world, I guess? Let's, let's dive into that real quick. Go ahead. Yeah, and start with you. No, I'll start with you, Jim. So um, I was, uh, I was interested when I was young, uh, my parents took me camping. I was uh, interested in the outdoors and uh, that led to uh, an interest in resource management. So I majored in civil engineering at the University of California, Davis. And uh, after that, I when I graduated, I worked for a, uh, a consulting firm uh, in San Diego County and then uh, another one uh, in Ventura County. Then I made my way back to Northern California. My wife is from Northern California. So we wanted to uh, 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 buy a house up here. And uh, about 20 years ago, I uh, went into the public sector and uh, I found it to be very interesting. And that uh, led to uh, where I am today is uh, uh, in this job, uh, working for the Regional Water Authority. All right. And Sean, how about yourself? Well, my, my journey isn't necessarily straightforward. I've had a pretty diverse public career. I've really worked pretty much in every level of government that uh, exists. Um, but in terms of um, how I arrived at the city of Roseville, I um, previously worked for the state of California for nine years. Uh, actually, um, in the attorney general's office uh, for that last stint, uh, doing uh, budget fiscal policy work and uh, some legislative advocacy. Um, really, what got me to the city of Roseville is, you know, being in a big sort of state bureaucracy, I really had this deep desire to serve, serve the public, serve the community at the local level that had a lot of meaning for, for me. That was always in my mind. Uh, when I went through uh, school is to uh, really to put put what I've learned and that sort of duty and 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 uh, eagerness to to engage in public service, put it to use at a local level where you know it's very it's very hands-on, it's very tangible. you see some of the results of your work uh, based on working in local government. So eventually I was lucky enough to get a job with the city of Roseville. Um, and uh, it so happened to be in the uh, in environmental utilities. And so I've been with the city for 18 years now. I've worked a multitude of jobs uh, from public information to working on fiscal items to uh, uh, policy advocacy, things like that, and eventually made my way into this um, particular position at this point in time. So it's kind of a not a straightforward journey, uh, but certainly this is where I'm at today. And I, I love my job. I love the career and I love the industry for sure. Sean, I suspect we can come back and do a whole other podcast about local versus state relations and the challenges and misunderstandings of each about the other. That would be probably yeah, pretty interesting. And absolutely. as a very heavy local government guy, I'd probably be coming at it with uh, guns a-blazing on incursions into local control as part of a conversation. Right, right. <laughs> You're right. Absolutely. Um, all right. But let's stick with water for today. Uh, so in, let's talk a little bit about 
a drought, 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 right? I mean, we can't talk about water without talking about drought in California. Uh, maybe I should just take the elephant out of the room because we are currently recording this on the tail side of a pretty massive wave of rain uh, that's landed in the yards and in the um, streams and the mountains for California. Uh, just a quick sense, where is that left? Either your member agencies, uh, Jim or Sean, how, where's Roseville find itself in terms of water supply issues right now and how you're coming, where you stand on, on the kind of drought circumstances at this point in time? Why don't you go ahead and go first, Jim? So um, what I want to say is um, for our local agencies within the Sacramento region, um, we're in, they're in pretty good shape. They're going to have a water supply for the rest of the year, uh, especially uh, water purveyors that are within the American River Basin uh, or Yuba Basin. Uh, Mother Nature has been really, really helpful and has filled up uh, Folsom Reservoir and has dropped a lot of snow. Uh, I think for the long term, that's going to be a, a different story. Uh, uh, some people say that we're in a mega drought right now, and really to adapt to the changes that we're seeing in the climate, we're going to really have to build projects to improve our resilience. Um, and we're doing that. Um, I talked a little bit about the Sacramento Regional Water Bank uh, earlier. Um, that's an initiative to be able to store water underground when there is plenty of water. And that happened uh, just recently, as you said, we had a number of atmospheric rivers that, that rolled through California. So what we wanna do is, is be able to utilize that surface water and then uh, bank groundwater. And, and the city of Roseville actually has a great program uh, to address that, but I'll let Sean talk about that. Um, when when uh, we don't have much surface water, uh, what we wanna do is be able to use that previously stored groundwater uh, to serve our customers' needs within the region. And again, many of our uh, our agencies uh, do that type of thing, but what we want to do is just formalize what we call the Sacramento Regional Water Bank um, and uh, uh, establish a set of rules to assure its sustainability into the future. Uh, just one last thing. Again, uh, we're uh, seeing a changing climate that's going to change water supplies in the future. And uh, the Sacramento region is well positioned to be able to adapt to it. But it's going to take some investment, um, again, to build the projects that we need to address a changing hydrology in the future. Uh, so, Sean, I'll let you comment a little bit, too, about some of those those points and weave in some of the projects you're working on, then I have some follow-up questions. But one thing I would love to ask and interject here is I've heard reference to surface water and groundwater. So if you want to explain the difference between those two and what that really means for the average schmo, uh, I would appreciate it. Sure, sure. So generally speaking, surface water refers to exactly that. It's it's essentially water that is exists and is conveyed on the surface of, of the earth on, on, on the planet. Uh, groundwater, so lakes and the, rivers, the lakes and rivers, yeah, uh, reservoirs, things like that. Uh, in terms of groundwater, typically groundwater, what we're referring to is uh, groundwater is water that exists within um, a basin, and essentially, a typical basin is uh, sediments, uh, really fine rocks, things like that, and that water basically over time percolates into the ground, and it actually exists within those small spaces between those, those rocks and fine grains. And um, so there's a tremendous amount of, in some areas of California, there's um, such as our region, the Sacramento region, there's a tremendous amount of storage uh, capacity and capability um, as far as groundwater is concerned. And uh, so that's just because of the nature of how the earth's crust or soil is composed there. And are we talking about 20 feet below ground? Or are we talking 500 feet below ground? You know, for typically what we see in Roseville is, you know, three to 400 feet. That's kind of the usable space kind of in between there. But really it does, uh, there, there is typically some space where that water doesn't obviously percolate above a certain level of ground. But yeah, three to 400 feet. Uh, you go beyond that, the water starts to get a little bit, um, uh, has a, a higher salt content and some other issues. And so it really does vary by geography. It varies by where in the basin you're at. Um, there's obviously some some areas that have levels of, of um, minerals or other things that aren't necessarily good from a, 
from either an aesthetic standpoint or in some cases that you wouldn't want to serve to your customers because they they go over certain uh, you know legal limitations. But generally speaking, there's a tremendous amount of potential in the Sacramento region uh, to be able to um, both add through recharge, uh, taking surface water and actually recharging the groundwater basin. But similarly, during drier drought periods, there's a lot of uh, potential to actually extract that water and use it for beneficial purposes. Um, and Jim, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about the Sacramento Regional Groundwater Bank and what that potential is. So is the is the groundwater bank using similar technology what you described earlier, which is injecting into ground and then pumping back out of that ground too? Or is it more percolation methodology with, with uh, spread fields and things like that? Well, I mean, conceivably, it has sort of the potential for for really kind of all those different types of methods. I'll you know I'll speak just for the city of Roseville, and Jim can probably give a, a better lay of the land in terms of other methods to contribute to a regional groundwater bank. But for the city of Roseville, we're able to leverage our aquifer storage and recovery wells. We actually currently have five uh, ASR wells, aquifer storage and recovery wells, that are in the city of Roseville. Uh, that are uh, active in terms of actually doing recharge operations. Uh, we have two more that are actually going to start construction here in probably about three to four months. Um, and actually, let me back up. We actually have two wells that are about ready to be operational, two additional wells, operational in about two months, and then another set of two that we're going to start construction on. And then after that, another set of two. So Roseville is really, um, has been very active in terms of investing and expanding our uh, aquifer storage and recovery groundwater well infrastructure within the city. Um, what uh, we're hopeful for working with the regional water authority is eventually to be able to work with other water agencies that implement similar infrastructure improvements and developments over time to really sort of scale up the benefits of aquifer storage and recovery um, in terms of uh, how you can operate it and take advantage of some of the wetter periods or flood control periods that we have where there's excess water in the system and being able to recharge uh, where appropriate. And then during the drier drought periods, you know, being able to uh, reduce the demand on our surface water supplies, reduce the impact to the lower American river and, and the environment and the species that live within that river, and instead use groundwater uh, during drier drop periods. So uh, it's, a, it's a practical way to really sort of um, navigate through a variety of hydrological conditions. It's also gonna be very important in terms of uh, being able to um, effectively manage through uh, changes that that uh, we have seen and will see with climate change, and uh, also it has some some benefits in terms of uh, being really um, good good for the environment generally speaking in terms of how it's operated. And I'll just say finally, um, recently we did have the um, opportunity to work with the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation. Uh, we actually during just after uh, during and, and slightly after the um, uh, the uh, storm events that we saw during the beginning portion of January, we were actually able to uh, recharge about 460 acre feet of water. That equates to about enough water for a thousand households for an entire year. Um, so uh, if you can imagine something like that um, scaled up on a regional basis, there's a tremendous amount of potential uh, within the Sacramento region to have some a really nice, robust regional groundwater bank that's going to provide a lot of benefits for folks in the future. So at the risk of getting kind of out of order and logic of explaining water banking, and I'll promise, Jim, I'll get to you in that in one second. Can, um, can you just, Sean, can you quickly explain like what's the benefit of uh, first of all, the benefit of injecting, using wells to inject the water into the ground as opposed to like a field where you let it percolate down. And then secondarily, um, what is the, do you have issues in doing that where your basin, like if your basin spreads out to other basins, do you risk recharging other people's well systems or is it contained enough within how you define the geography there that you're preserving it for yourself? Yeah, so you know, generally speaking, if you're talking about direct recharge, <clears throat> Essentially, what we're doing is we're taking the pressure from the distribution system and we're, uh, by just virtue of the pressure, we're actually directly pushing water into the groundwater basin. 
we actually have to monitor it, make sure that we don't do it too much where we get mounding or getting surface uh, surfacing of that groundwater ultimately. So it's a, it's a, it's probably faster, I would say, than just sort of nat natural percolation, which is great as well. Um, but it's, it's a direct way to really recharge the basin. Does, uh, in terms of your question, in terms of when you recharge, you know, the, the basin, you have this sort of recharge bubble that's, that's there. Does it travel? Yes, it does travel over time, but it travels really, really slow. And generally speaking, in terms of how we operate, we're all part of um, a groundwater sustainability uh, agency within Western Placer, which is interconnected with other groundwater sustainability agencies within the Sacramento region. And we really kind of view it as just it's it's part of a way to not only store water for, for future use during dry or drought periods, but we're also adding um, additional water to the groundwater basin. And it's really good and healthy for our groundwater basin in terms of its long-term sustainability. Uh, so there's a lot of lot of benefits, both direct and indirect, for for the city of Roseville, and and also generally speaking, it's beneficial from our perspective for the entire Sacramento region. If you look at it sort of as the collective whole. And then I think one of the related question, again, just dive into detail to understand it, but I'm curious, uh, the advantage of injecting into the ground as opposed to just building a giant another reservoir somewhere, right, or a giant pond. Um, what what's the advantage with that? Well, I mean, you really, if you talk about sort of percolation, um, you know, opportunities, there's a couple of things that you really have to look at. Number one, you have to uh, find available land uh, that exists at that scale to be able to uh, provide the level of recharge that you're really looking for. Um, the other thing that you have to really account for is you have to have the right conditions in terms of uh, the basin. There's a, I'll give you an example in Western Roseville. Uh, we've got a lot of area that uh, has a very um, almost impermeable uh, clay layer. And so in those particular circumstances, it's pretty difficult to, to get effective recharge in those particular circumstances. So you know, being able to do direct recharge through these wells, you have a much smaller physical uh, footprint of, mm -hmm. above ground. And uh, we're, we're able to leverage you know, the benefits of using system pressure to push it in. So uh, it's, it's probably, you know, being able to spread water over land has a lot of advantages and it does happen in other parts of California and by all means it's they're beneficial when they work, but there's a lot of sort of constraints that you obviously have to account for uh, that I yeah. just described. That's interesting. It, well, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, the dirt underground is free. <laughs> so that's a pretty good price for real estate. Yeah. If I could jump into Please, Jim. Um, what, uh, uh, what Sean's talking about with uh, aquifer storage and recovery, often uh, called ASR, uh, is becoming increasingly popular. And and like Sean said, you don't need a really big footprint in order to construct a facility to inject water underground. And uh, the uh, the geology of the region is such that it works really, really well for Roseville. And a number of other of the RWA member agencies are interested in this and looking at it. But there's a couple other uh, ways of recharging the, the basin. And one way is to uh, just shut off groundwater wells where they exist already. And we call that in-lieu recharge. Uh, I wish we had a better name for it, but it's called in-lieu recharge. And uh, uh, the geology of our region is such that when you do that type of thing or use less groundwater, the basin actually recovers fairly quickly. Now, Sean did say that groundwater does move slow, and it does, but the response of our basin is really, really nice. Uh, if you look at uh, data from the State Department of Water Resources, over the last 20 years, groundwater levels have been increasing in the Sacramento region. And they've been going down as a, uh, for the most part, elsewhere in the state. Mm, uh, sometimes I'm actually surprised that. to hear you say that, Jim. I, I wouldn't have imagined that groundwater levels were actually rising in, this, in any place in California. This, this area, there's a handful of other places, actually a small number of places. The Santa Rosa area is, a, is an example of, of where groundwater levels are increasing. But there's a map in a, in a, in a, in a state uh, report, it's called uh, uh, Bulletin 118, um, uh, issued by the State Department of Water Resources, and it has a, a map of California showing the groundwater trend over time. And again, it's been increasing in this region. 
the reason why that's happening is because this region had a head start and started building the infrastructure to allow water to be stored underground. There were, uh, and, and manage it in, a, in such a way that you optimally use surface water when it's available and groundwater when a lot of surface water is not available. And because of that, again, groundwater levels have been increasing and this region has been storing water largely through this operation of turning the groundwater wells off when there's plenty of surface water available. But this region is also looking at other opportunities too. Uh, I know there's some interest south of the American River in the Consumnes River Basin of potentially using what they call flood mar. And that's uh, a, a technique or an opportunity much like spreading water on fields, uh, agricultural fields to uh, allow the water to percolate underground. That's, a, that's another mechanism too. Interesting. The, um, uh, when you talk about shutting off groundwater wells, uh, is that, are those other agency, public agency groundwater wells or these private uh, consumer wells where you're trying to get them to hook up to available city water or other water systems to alternatively use surface water and not use their groundwater well during certain times of the year? Or, or what? what is that? Who are you asking to turn off wells or stop using groundwater wells? Oh, thank you for this question. So uh, most of the water supply in the urban area of Sacramento is from a municipal water agency. It's either a special district or a city or a county water agency. Uh, uh, for example, uh, uh, in Sean's case, it's the city of Roseville that provides the water water to its customers. And it's generally municipally owned uh, groundwater wells. Uh, there are other wells in the in the region, particularly in, in rural areas uh, where, uh, where a property owner might have their own well. And that's, we haven't really asked them to uh, uh, shut out the well. They don't have any alternative water supply. Uh, but in this region, we've integrated both groundwater and surface water together and can continue to integrate that. So we can, we can switch from one source of supply or another, uh, uh, depending on if, if one's more available or not. Now, well, adaptability, if we've learned anything throughout the pandemic, let alone just navigating our world that we live in today, the ability to adapt is pretty darn important. So having that ability to kind of code switch between the two, I can certainly see um, as advantageous. How does, uh, well, actually, first of all, just say, so this is super interesting for me in terms of learning about these nuances of methodologies for um, kind of banking water or storing water. Are there any other either regional or city of Roseville um, water conservation strategies or infrastructure investments you all have been making that you want to identify? And then once we talk about that a little bit, I'd love to talk a little bit more about this concept of, um, I think it's called um, water banking uh, and what that really is and how that integrates with some of the technology we were talking about. But let's talk about more generally. So I heard, Sean, Roseville does recycled water. You got purple pipe. Uh -huh. um, you're not doing any recycled water yet where it's actually getting cleaned up to the point of being potable and getting injected back in as potable water? No, it, at this point, we're really not uh, uh, looking at that as a technology. And it, it definitely has, uh, it, it has applicability in terms of um, the you know, direct or indirect potable reuse is the term. Um, there's, a, there's a fair amount of constraints with that type of technology. One of the, the biggest things is, well, number one, it's very energy intensive to uh, to treat water at that level. And, you know, based on virtue of the fact that we have available surface water supplies that are pretty reliable, um, there really isn't a need for us to go to that extent. Southern California is an example. Certainly they're looking at those technologies as a means to stretch water supplies that they have. Uh, and, you know, they have limitations in terms of when you treat water at that, at that level, that fine level, you have to deal with things like the leftover brine, and, you know, transporting that brine is very, very expensive. Uh, hence why oftentimes brine is, you know, you, you see brine disposal really at kind of more communities that are close to the coast because right. they can right. dispose of that in that, that form or fashion. You know, in terms of infrastructure, we're looking at in addition, again, our relationship with Placer County Water Agency is really key uh, for the city of Roseville uh, through their Middle Fork project. Uh, we are exploring some other uh, additional redundant access points to uh, access available uh, contract water we already have in place, but to better access that water. Um, certainly, 
Um, it was, you know, 2015 is an example. Many folks saw, you know, Folsom Reservoir and lake level being pretty darn low. And certainly that's uh, something that we pay very close attention to. And so we're always looking for other ways to be able to access those available water supplies. So we have some projects that we're working with them on uh, currently. Um, and then in terms of the um, uh, other projects, yeah, I think you mentioned demand management. Uh, yeah, certainly we have very robust water efficiency programs in place as well uh, that we continue to, to utilize to use that as a, another portion of our, uh, our um, tools in our toolbox, if you will. All right. And so that's both commercial and residential water use and kind of, I mean, I think on the residential side, it's often measured in like gallons per person or something like that on an average daily right. basis or some such thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So we have commercial and residential programs. Um, we do things like cash for grass where we incentivize customers to uh, basically get their, um, you know, take out their grass and put it in low uh, water use plants. Um, we've got uh, our water wise house calls where we go out and help residents really figure out how to program their timers or determine if there's leaks on their property, things like that. So really kind of on the ground uh, services that we provide to our customers to help them reduce their water use and really try to make water efficiency easy an easy thing to do, generally speaking. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if you're going to be able to keep using cash for grass as a uh, catch, catch line given Prop 64 and our the presence of the marijuana industry in California. So you might have to you might have to revisit that one. People are going to start wondering why the water agency is trying to give or trying to buy marijuana off its residents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard that a few times. <laughs> well, I'm sorry I'm not unique in my humor there, but I, it does come to mind immediately. So sample size of one. <laughs> right, right. Um, how about uh, at, at the Regional Water Authority? Because I, I heard a, a conversation there about scaling some of this uh, injection work that's being done. So uh, are there some already big scalable projects you're working on with infrastructure? Uh, or is that part of the plan you see for the vision of your agency that you're working on, Jim? So, uh, yes, uh, let me uh, let me address that. And uh, one of the nice things about the water bank is is it's it's very incremental in terms of you add on to it. Um, we have a, a number of uh, uh, surface water treatment plants within the region that can uh, take water from the river, treat it and convey it to their customers. Uh, and uh, if we build some more pipelines uh, within the distribution systems in our region, we'll be able to broadly distribute that water uh, to customers. And again, allow uh, certain parts of our region to rest their wells and allow groundwater levels to, to increase. But the other nice thing about this is, is you can increase this by either pipelines or building new groundwater wells to increase the capacity of, of what we call the water bank. It's it's a it's you need to build the infrastructure to be able to do that. And uh, uh, a nice thing is, is you can do it well by well. You don't have to build a, a, a large surface water reservoir all at once uh, in order to add on to it. Um, but if I can just go a different direction for just a second, because you sure. talked about or one of your questions was technology, uh, which might be able uh, which one might be able to harness uh, to uh, uh, manage water. And what I'd like to offer on that is uh, the Sacramento Area Flood Control Agency is one of our associate members. And one of the things that they're very interested in is uh, uh, what they call FIROMAR. Uh, and that's a mouthful of, of letters, but FIRO is a forecast informed reservoir operation. And MAR is managed aquifer recovery. So, uh, uh, Fira, we need more acronyms, but Jim, if we don't get more acronyms, this isn't going to work. We got to have more. I know, acronyms. I know. We need to. Uh, <laughs> we have an awful lot of them. We we like to invent them sometimes. Oh yeah. And uh, but but uh, forecast informed reservoir operations is where you um, rely on uh, increasingly uh, being able to forecast storms coming into the region, and uh, that's really important for flood flood management. Uh, uh, if you have a large storm coming in and you can detect it through uh, uh, the ways that we do through uh, weather uh, forecasting, modeling those things, uh, receiving information from satellites and such, we can do a better job of, of, again, forecasting storms. And over time, that just continues to improve. 
uh, uh, the weather forecasts were so much better than they were 10 years ago and 20 years ago beyond that. Why is this important for water supply? The reason why is because we want to manage a reservoir or the regions want to manage and the, the managers who manage these reservoirs want to be able to know when the storms are coming in. That way they can hang on to the water supply if a storm sort of veers north or veers south. But if it's coming into the American River Basin, they, they might want to release some of the water in a reservoir to, to be able to accommodate storm runoff uh, as that storm comes in. Okay. So where do they send that water? One way to, to deal with it is, is actually send it underground. And uh, in some ways, uh, Sean's agency does this because they're able to take floodwaters and bank it into the ground. That's something that Sean said earlier. If we, can, if we can improve upon that and scale that up, that would really be helpful, not only for our region, but for other regions around the state. Um, uh, again, I was talking about uh, 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 the flood mar, um, uh, SAFA is very interested in, in taking some of that water that we might release and then banking it for another day. And they're really exploring opportunities in the consumnist river basin to be able to store that water. So it, I mean, I guess this speaks to something that just from an outside perspective is a constant headline these days, which is, I mean, I think I saw a headline yesterday. Again, it's a headline. 95% uh, of the of the rain that we just got from all those storms went out to the ocean, right? So, um, and this has been a, in some circles, the battle cry is we are not, we have a, either haven't built enough reservoirs uh, or we are not doing enough to try to capture the rain runoff in the first place to make sure we're banking it and that we really have a, a drought of reservoirs or storage and not really a drought of actual rain. Now, I'm sure that the data indicates that rainfall itself has fallen off, which is why we're experiencing the drought. Um, but it it is, I mean, it sounds like what you're describing is how are we going to make sure if we're only capturing X percent of the water currently coming out that river, uh, how can we capture more of it um, efficiently uh, while also main, maintaining our flood reduction goals or flood flood risk mitigation that we're required to do? Is that a fair description of what of ultimately what we're talking about I, here? I, I think that is. But if I could add to that, there's around 1,400 reservoirs in California. Uh, of various sizes, small to large, and uh, uh, Shasta Reservoir being uh, uh, our largest, um, but uh, Folsom, just uh, uh, not too far away from here, is about a million acre feet. Um, and it's been said that the, the, the best reservoir spots now have reservoirs on them. There are some uh, ones that have some promise, like Sites Reservoir uh, up in the Sacramento Valley, and there's a few in the, in the Bay Area. Uh, there's some proposals to expand one. A really opportune location would be the Los Vaqueros Reservoir in Contra Costa County. But there really aren't that many opportunities uh, beyond uh, ones that you could probably count on maybe one hand. Okay. So the, the, the real opportune area is, is to advance storing water underground. And uh, uh, the State Department of Water Resources uh, recently uh, prepared a study that suggests 13 million acre feet could be stored underground in the future. For comparison, we have 50 million acre feet of surface water storage reservoirs in the state. That's that 1400 collectively. And uh, uh, so this would add quite a bit of uh, storage capacity. 26% increase in capacity. Yes, it is. Uh, so it would really, really be helpful for uh, two things. Uh, as the state grows, in size, but also our changing climate, which is uh, uh, problematic. Our study suggests that we will lose 75% of our snowpack by the turn of the century. Our largest reservoir is what we like to call our snow reservoir. And uh, as you know, it uh, uh, snows uh, during the winter and, and runs off uh, throughout the spring and into the summer. Uh, that water is, is needed to uh, uh, one, for the environment, but also for uh, agriculture and urban use. And we're going to lose a great deal of it in the future. So this is a water banking, not only in our region, but throughout the state will be an opportunity to be able to adapt to this loss of snowpack in the future. 
And this concept of water banking, um, particularly as it involves your agency, I mean, fundamentally, this is about getting that water out and primarily injecting it into the ground as a place to store it. So we're banking that water in the ground. Is that the kind of the root of that term? Yes. All right. And uh, and is the plan for RWA to be involved in building some of that infrastructure, or are you playing an administrative overhead to help your member agencies like um, Roseville be able to implement their projects to do that water banking and you're providing infrastructure and guidance on how to share that water across the region? It's more the latter. So the RWA's role is to uh, keep the books on, on what is going into the ground and out of the ground, making sure that the groundwater operations are conducted in a sustainable way that we're not harming any other user of water, maybe a shallow domestic well owner uh, somewhere uh, just off the urban area in, in the rural areas, or maybe a groundwater dependent ecosystem. We wouldn't want that to be dewatered. So we want to create a sustainable program of making sure that uh, no one's harmed. And we're also accounting for who puts water in the ground and who takes it out. Our members will be the ones that pump the water and uh, uh, and build the infrastructure. But the RWA has a role in that, and that is, is to, to uh, find opportunities for our members maybe to apply for a grant uh, to, uh, to build a well uh, or, uh, you know, to provide a, uh, an opportunity for the member agencies to work together to provide some sort of benefit to the environment. Okay. Um, one other question that comes to mind in all of this, too, is... Uh, I guess water rights to river water rights, water rights, and uh, this is a territory I know very little about. I'm assuming you gentlemen know a lot more than I do. Um, so, like, does Roseville have water rights on the river itself, river water, and is that a certain allocation, or does the regional water authority kind of aggregate up water rights for all its member agencies to represent that, or, or are those not really? Do those only apply up to a certain volume of water, and then it's kind of a free for all because uh, there's plenty of available water? How does that work? So do you want me to speak to the city of Roseville, Jim? Sure. I'll give me give me a prime example on Roseville. Yeah. So so Roseville, it, you know, in terms of our contract supply, um, so we are um, a CVP contractor, Central Valley Project contractor with Reclamation. So back before uh, Folsom was constructed, there was a lot of competing water rights applications back in the 50s uh, for water um, from ultimately Folsom Reservoir. Ultimately, the state of California decided to uh, actually bestow those water rights in a consolidated fashion with the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation. So uh, you fast forward to today, Roseville doesn't have its own water rights. You know, our access to water supply really comes through virtue of our contract with the Bureau of Reclamation. So uh, that's that's kind of all managed in sort of that umbrella. And there's a, a lot of other CVP contractors within the American River uh, area or Sacramento region uh, that have sort of similar circumstances, or in some cases they have some of their own water rights in combination with the CVP contracts. So there's a lot of diversity within uh, sort of the, the various agencies within the uh, umbrella of, of the regional water authority here in Sacramento. And then Jim, do you have anything, would you say that's, I mean, would you concur with Sean in terms of your member agencies and their water rights uh, arrangements, at least as it concerns the river? I suppose, Sean, Roseville has water rights for its groundwater supply, or is there such a thing as groundwater rights uh, up, up there in your region? Yeah, so essentially the with respect to the groundwater um, recharge, you know, we have to work with the uh, Bureau of Reclamation through their process and essentially working through their their procedures and process relative to that. So, you know, it is different depending on what agency you're talking about in California and, and really what type of water that you're using, whether it's project water or other types of water. And so it, it really just does, it does depend mm -hmm. on where that source water is coming from and, and sort of the related processes and procedures uh, for that. All right. Yeah, the, the only thing I'll add is um, the RWA doesn't have its own uh, water rights or uh, or the the term entitlements. Um, that's a that's a catch-all term for contracts or water rights or or other things that uh, uh, a water agency might be able to uh, supply their uh, a water supply, if you will. Um, but I'll echo what Sean said. There's a real diversity of water entitlements 
either rights or contracts within the greater Sacramento region. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's amazing. Uh, there is a, a robust set of entitlements in this region. One agency might have a certain set of water rights that they applied for or several water rights. Um, another agency might have a contract. Some agencies have what's called a settlement contract, which uh, uh, is really nice. Some have pre-1914 water rights. But collectively, all those entitlements will really be helpful for our members to be able to store water in the future. Well, because ultimately, those I assume some of those water rights scale and availability of water. I mean, at, at some point, if you have a right to nothing that exists, then it's not exactly a helpful right, correct? That's, that's correct. Um, uh, and that's the flip side of this. Sometimes there is uh, uh, a water right really might be helpful, uh, but it has a priority assigned to it. And, and some of our member agencies might have a, a relatively low priority. Uh, uh, and we have examples of that in our region. Uh, and in that case, they've actually gotten in front of, of this issue and they thought about, well, how can we really uh, improve our reliability when they only have access to surface water because of they have a low priority water right part of the time? And what they do is, is they also utilize the groundwater basin to provide some of their water supply when there isn't water available. And then they ensure that they uh, take what's called, and I'm gonna use a real wonky term, a storage action to store water when it's available and then recover that in the future when when it's, when it's surface water is not available. All right. Uh, all right, so deep dive question here. Sorry, I keep coming up with these harebrained questions, but I'm thinking about, you said Folsom is about a million acre feet of storage, is that correct? That's right. And do you have a sense of what your likely underground storage capacity is among the RWA agencies? Like what you're, what you think you could max out at or what you think is a reasonable amount you could be storing underground? Right now, it's about 90,000 acre feet for the total capacity. Uh, uh, with, excuse me, total capacity after improvements are made, new, new projects. Um, if we didn't build any new projects, it would be 60,000 acre feet. So we plan on adding an additional 30,000 acre feet of storage capacity in the future. And if you add that 30,000, will that be total build out or is there even more capacity under, I mean, I, I would think there's more capacity under the ground, but maybe it's not reasonable because of uh, soil composition and geography. It's a great question. We believe that there's more capacity. Um, the way that we arrived at this initial number was, uh, we did a survey of our members to see what, what type of infrastructure they have, what type of uh, facilities that they have that could be used to store water and recover it in the future. And that's about, again, 60,000 acre feet using the existing infrastructure that we have in this region. Um, uh, and then we, what we did is asked our members, what's on, what are you planning for capital improvement projects that could add to this? And the sum total of that was 30,000 acre feet. Um, but yes, there is the opportunity to even expand that there beyond that in a sustainable way. Interesting. Uh, from both your perspectives, uh, what, what opportunities maybe is the state missing out on and how to collaborate with either a regional group like RWA or the city of Roseville? Uh, you know, Sean, I'll throw it to you first since you came from uh, big state government and then came down to local government. Are, are you seeing things that uh, are a little more confusing for you? Or uh, is there any area where you see an opportunity for improvement as a nice, nice euphemism to better co correlate or collaborate on statewide water water strategy? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that there's always room for, for improvement, um, certainly between um, all levels of government. You know, what, what I find encouraging um, is that there, uh, and, and I'll give you most specifically, you know, our relationship with the federal government. It's, uh, you know, these are these are really important relationships that we sort of maintain and, and establish in some cases. And um, I think what's really important just to recognize is that, you know, there's a lot of really smart people in the water industry that really care about what they do. And, you know, it's certainly oftentimes the conditions for collaboration really start with 
what are the kind of leaders out there that really sort of cultivate that expectation, right? And so, um, you know, over the course of time, you know, I've been involved in in um, this particular uh, industry for for about eighteen years, and you know, I've seen certainly varying levels of collaboration and, and cooperation at both the state and the federal level. You know, I'd say, um, you know, is everything perfect? No, certainly by by no means, but. Um, I've been sort of heartened by um, what I've seen in terms of a general uh, robust communication with the state of California. I think that they're uh, certainly interested in furthering um, those opportunities for collaboration and working together. And I'd also say the same thing for the federal government. We've seen a, a, a significant increase in communication and the willingness to work together. Um, you know, in terms of water problems in California, these are big, gnarly problems to try to solve, right? And really, it's not one level of government that's going to be able to solve those problems. It's going to really require all levels of government sort of working together uh, to really think about, you know, where do we want to, where do we want to, what are the problems ahead and how do we want to navigate or, or solve those problems and where do we want to be in the future, right? And so, um you know, I, I think it, of it more in sort of a, a positive or more sort of opportunity-based thinking about the situation. But I, I'm somewhat heartened in terms of where we're at. Um, and uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of big, big problems out there, but I, I feel pretty pretty good right now where we're at and certainly hope to encourage more of that um, from where I sit in the future. And Jim, from your perspective, I mean, you mentioned that RWA, part of your calling or mission is to advocate. So what are you advocating for? Like, what's the, what are you representing your agencies on? I typically that advocacy would usually be directed at the state, but maybe it's directed at, a, at an agency or it's directed at the Fed. So what are you out, out pushing? It, it, it's out, but maybe what I'll do is start by saying that over the last 20 years, since 21 years, since the RWA, 22 years now, since the RWA has formed, um, uh, we've helped our members obtain about $80 million in, in grants. Um, and that has in turn allowed the region to build 30,000 acre feet of underground storage. That was coupled with about $200 million in uh, ratepayer funds. So $80 million from the state, $200 million locally to build 30,000 acre feet of, of groundwater capacity. That's enough for 90, 60 to 90,000 homes. And uh, uh, that's a that's a sizable uh, population when when you think about that. Uh, it's really uh, uh, improved our water supply. So one of the things that we want to continue to do is just have a partnership with the state of California and the federal government, uh, and that's working really really well. Uh, we're having the opportunity to uh, uh, help our members uh, improve their water supply reliability in the future by communicating what our challenges are which is really advocacy, right? And be able to explain to them, you know, what, what our member agencies need from the state of California. And uh, uh, we, have a, we have a really good relationship with uh, the State Department of Water Resources and the California Natural Resources Agency. That has improved because we have something called the RWA. And increasingly, we're having a, a, a really uh, great relationship with the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation, which, I, which manages Folsom Reservoir and is really the primary water supply, uh, surface water supply to our member agencies in, in the greater Sacramento region. Hmm. All right. Well, those all sound like reasonable goals and objectives and positive outcomes that you guys have made over the last 22 years of existence. The advantage, so does that mean you were formed in, 20, in 2000? Uh, the RWA formed in 2001. You just missed the window there. See, the trick is you form in 2000. That way, every time your anniversary comes up, you remember exactly what I, anniversary it is. <laughs> I know. Uh, that's why I was struggling with the math uh, when when I was saying 20, 21, 22. So I wish we were formed in 2000. That would have made it so much easier. Well, I'm a, I'm a smart guy. So I got married in 2000. So therefore, it's always been easy to remember my anniversary. <laughs> um, uh I have one other uh, one other question I want to dive into real quick around a water a water quality issue actually that and just kind of talk about where it's it's been uh, maybe affecting or not affecting your region. Uh, but before I do anything else on water banking, you gentlemen want to discuss? We cover that territory. Sean, is there anything else? 
No, I, I think it's, uh, you know, again, I think it's just the, the Sacramento Regional uh, Water Bank, you know, holds a tremendous amount of potential. Jim's, Jim's uh, organization, the Regional Water Authority, is, is doing a really good job in terms of really partnering with uh, the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation to gain federal recognition. And so uh, there's, there's a lot more work ahead, um, but um, we've certainly, I think, made a lot of progress in moving forward. Um, you know, the benefit of regional water authority is, is it does convene the water agencies to, you know, to come together to uh, really figure out how we can work uh, cooperatively together. And so, you know, City of Roseville, we're very, uh, very engaged in the process and, and really looking forward to really forging those sort of the institutional and financial uh, relationships that need to be put together to be able to have a good functioning water bank. And so um, we're, we're very uh, bullish about the water bank and here in Sacramento region and uh, super, super happy with the progress that the regional water authorities made in that, in this area. Great. Well, at the risk of not ending on that uh, nice wrap up, I do want to ask about one other issue that just is, it's been in the public conscious for a while and um and it's something we've seen with the clients that uh, my firm, Trippepi Smith, uh, works with, which is PFOS issues and uh, PFO. I was just curious, uh, and this has typically affected more industrial and urban areas, which, uh, you know, Roseville certainly has, is, as a newer community and much more uh, suburban, probably hasn't been affected by. But has that been an issue at all out your way or in the region generally where RWA covers your territory? Or has PFOS been, have you been fortunate enough to avoid those issues? And just, I guess, for I should say for the audience, PFOS, PFOA are some chemicals that uh, were created for various reasons, but ultimately they also proved to be not good for human health and don't disappear very easily. And they've been affecting water wells throughout California um, that have resulted in several wells actually getting shut down. So I was just curious to see how it's affected your region. Sean, do you want to take that one first or do you want me to take that one? Yeah, in terms of PFO and PFOS, you know, obviously within the region, we're really um, obviously tracking that issue very closely. Um, there is uh, through the the both state and federal government, there are some um, both legislative and regulatory efforts to really get um, get our arms around PFO and PFOS. Um, it's uh, in terms of what we have to do to maintain our um, you know, our permit uh, to provide water, we constantly have to test. Um, there is a round of testing coming up by, uh, within um, sort of the, the state of California and I believe nationwide, where PFO and PFOS, ultimately there's going to be a round of testing that has to occur. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a, it's a, it's a, a tricky issue, specifically when you talk about groundwater wells and, you know, uh, having a PFO, a PFO, PFO, a PFO, potentially come up in a groundwater well is um, is certainly certainly problematic. Um, there is, uh, and I know that there has been some investments in terms of uh, being able to, in circumstances where you have a, a PFO, a PFOS detect in those groundwater wells, there's treatment technology that you can actually utilize to be able to treat uh, for PFO, PFOS before it's actually served to the public. So, you know, if an agency ultimately has that uh, come up, that's a decision uh, that, or an assessment and decision they're going to have to make in terms of what they want to do going forward. So, um, and, you know, we were obviously tracking the issue very closely um, and it, uh, it is problematic. I would say one thing, too, is, is uh, we're certainly interested, I think, uh, in terms of making sure that, um, you know, the responsibility for PFO or PFOS, you know, we really need to look at where, where it's being manufactured or being generated. And so there is some notion that the folks that are creating this this um, this pollution, if you will, uh, really, we, we need to be working towards uh, finding out where that area of responsibility is. And then, you know, ultimately, hopefully getting PFO and PFOS out of consumer products, uh, because the, it, this this chemical is, is very problematic at this point. And I think over time, I think with with the regulatory efforts, we'll we'll start to see that uh, diminishes the threat, but it's going to take some considerable amount of time to get there. Yeah, well, the the class action lawsuits are already running, so like yeah. they're and part of those class action lawsuits are being waged by water agencies themselves seeking economic reparations to right. most often implement granulated activated granular activated carbon GAC. Uh, mm -hmm. solutions, at least as the primary solution I've seen implemented. I'm not sure what else has been out there, but that's what yeah. that's what I've seen so far. I'm not sure if re reverse osmosis also addresses it or not, but um, 
Uh, Jim, you got any comments about the region in general and, and I, I mean, detect issues or anything like that? Or is it getting anybody had to implement a GAC or similar solution for PFOS before? I'm not aware of anyone implementing a, a treatment system in, in our region. Um, uh, I am aware of a well, uh, uh, or maybe a couple of wells rather, um, that uh, that have been contaminated with with uh, that that chemical. Uh, generally, what happens is is uh, an owner of that well shuts the well down, and uh, it's very expensive to treat. Um, it is, uh, uh, people are on the lookout for that. And like Sean said, it's continuously being tested. Um, and we we do have a little, just a handful of legacy sites where, where that could be a problem uh, uh, within the region. Um, but uh, uh, we also have uh, uh, groundwater, groundwater travels very, very slowly. So that's one of the benefits uh, of, of groundwater. It's also a, uh, a problem with groundwater. I mean, you can't fill up a groundwater basin very, very quickly. It takes a lot of infrastructure and you have to do it at scale uh, in order to, to fill it up uh, fast. Uh, but the, the flip side of that is, is groundwater travels very, very slowly and it, it gives you the opportunity to really uh, 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 shut off a well and manage a, uh, the groundwater basin in such a way that you prevent it from migrating elsewhere. So that's that's uh, uh, one of the upsides of that. But other than what uh, Sean said, I agree with everything with Sean said, um, and I'm I'm looking for the opportunity to uh, redress, you know, bring bring solutions to uh, to this, and also uh, have a situation where the polluters pay, you know, for the for the cleanup. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I don't raise this to freak people out because the truth is this has been slow rolling for a while. And there is some pretty heavy regulations that are out there that, frankly, prompted some of the testing that's going on. Um, and everybody should know that if you detect at certain levels that the government has determined are problematic, uh, you get notification on it. So it's not like it's playing yeah. hide the football and this stuff like notification happens. You're you're made aware. So it's not like you need to be running down to your local water purveyor and demanding to know uh if they've tested or not like they are testing they are and they are informing you if there's an issue or otherwise and they're certainly ensuring that it meets federal and state water quality standards to make it to your tap and that's that's always kind of goal number one and that it's it's fair to assume that is the case in your water supply um so it'll be an interesting issue to see it unfold as as time goes by and and see how we work to implement more innovation i think the one question given all this talk about groundwater too um it uh, it does strike me that uh, this is a layman's question, I guess. But if I am putting good water into a good well and consistently recharging it, that would, to the extent there was any risk formed by uh, kind of water intrusion or transition, it tends to preserve the quality of the water that's in the ground if I'm consistently recharging it with quality water in the ground. Is that a fair statement, given how hydrology works? Sean, you want to address that? I have I have my own perspective on that. Yeah, I, I would say generally speaking, yeah, we, uh, you know, certainly uh, it, it's interesting because the city of Roseville um, it, back in the early 2000s went through a, sort of a, a proof of concept process with, um, with the state of California in order to receive our uh, discharge permit uh, and, and operational permit to be able to uh, have an aquifer storage and recovery um a system within Roseville. And so we actually had to do a lot of testing in terms of, you know, how does uh, in, uh, recharging with uh, treated surface water, how does that interact within the groundwater basin and really kind of looking at the science behind that. Uh, after that, that series of, of really rigorous testing, working with the state of California, it was determined that there wasn't a risk to the, the public in terms of how that that uh, water, that surface water interacts within the groundwater basin. Uh, and that um, certainly the state was comfortable at that point in time to uh, permit the system. And that, that was, a, that was a, I think, a, a, a sort of a, uh, a significant event, I think, in the in California because uh, we we went through a lot of effort to really uh, get that first permit of that kind really established, and and uh, I think it set a really good precedent for the rest of California and the agencies that want to invest in aquifer storage and recovery. So, so yeah, so the science is there. It's it's been um, looked at and and deemed safe for for use in terms of uh, providing that water back to the public when we actually extract it. 
Yeah, Ryder, if I could add. Um, Please. I. Uh, uh, in addition to the tool of, of removing uh, things that you, you don't want in your water supply, um, uh, yeah, when you when you put water into the ground, it's another tool in the toolbox for managing a groundwater basin and making sure that the very, very clean parts of your, your aquifer, of your groundwater system, remain clean. So, so I'm glad you said that because that is, that is one of the tools of the toolbox. Yeah, I think that's kind of an interesting side benefit. My, I, partly my inspiration for the question is like down, I, I live down in Southern California, close to the water, and they've been using groundwater um, injection to try to hold saltwater intrusion at bay coming into our groundwater supplies. So they're consistently trying to use that methodology to also maintain the water quality within our own groundwater supply down here in Orange County, for example. So, yes. Uh, yes. Well, you guys are bonafide water nerds, so thank you for your time today. <laughs> I uh, it's, it's, I love talking water. I mean, I always tell my uh, my wife, like the value of land without water is zero. So water matters to all of us, particularly particularly here in California, um, not just to drink and not just to make life go and make our sewer systems work, but you know, fundamentally, we got economic interests around our water too. Absolutely. Uh, and with that, that's today's report. My thanks to Sean and Jim for their uh, for joining us for the time. From the whole Public CO team, myself, writer Todd Smith, I want to thank you for your time. We hope you learned something new and inspiring that will help you in your public service. Remember, Public CEO has a daily newsletter that is free to those who sign up at publicceo.com. If you have feedback, questions, or guest suggestions for Public CEO Report, please email Editor at publicceo.com.